Deep in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Welcome to another edition of Freaky Friday Where we tell your odd but true stories And today is Friday, January 19th And I think like 80% of the country is freezing their toes off So I hope wherever you are If you're here in America, you're doing uh Whatever you can to stay warm. If you're in Australia, you're staying cool. I heard they were going through a heat wave in certain parts. So wherever you are. Wherever you are, we hope the weather is being kind to you. Yes. It's also my dad's birthday. So happy birthday, dad. Love you and miss you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we have some very uh, freaky stories. I Freaky isn't even the word. Like... Oh, hard-hitting ones today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tied to some headline-making cases Mm -hmm. that, uh, and especially as we get to the the latter half, the 70s and 80s were a wild time. They were. They were. Yeah. (laughs) Things were loose back then. Put it mildly. It's it's weird because things are still loose just in a different way. (laughs) The looseness just, it evolves into a different form. Right. It gives you a perspective. Uh, Mm -hmm. But my perspective is, uh, we'll get to it, but uh, I don't want to shame folks too much for accidentally joining a cult. I've been there. I specifically gave you that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you uh, to everyone who's written these in and uh, taken the time because the as always, not only is the story selection impeccable, but the stories themselves are. So mm-hmm. thank you, everyone, for choosing to share this with us so we can share it with you. We have so many good writers that we listen do. to the show. Very, uh, We're proud of y'all. Thanks. Good Absolutely. Job. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Molly, and it is called, I was in the 2021 Waukesha Christmas Parade. Hi, ladies. First and foremost, I want to thank you all for all of your hard work, constant diligence, and sensitivity to every case you cover, and for providing so many laughs in what has been a, gestures wildly, rough few years for everyone. I'm consistently blown away by not only your kindness, but the kindness of your listeners. The Facebook group gives me hope for humanity, and I can't thank you enough for the community you have created. Often in my friend group, when a case, cryptid, conspiracy pops up, I'm like the poster child for, oh, Sinisterhood has an episode on that. I also want to thank you for allowing me a space to share this story, as it's still something I and our community is healing from. November 21st, 2021 started as a total normal day. I was gearing up in all of our cold weather gear and frantically texting other moms to prepare for my daughter five at the time, and myself to walk in the annual Waukesha Christmas Parade with her dance team. While we waited in the lineup, we danced, attached glow sticks to batons, and took group pictures of the sweetest group of girls to ever exist, all bubbling with excitement to walk the route, see Santa, and maybe get some hot cocoa at the end. This parade has always been huge, and it was our first year walking in it due to its cancellation in 2020. So my daughter and I were especially excited. 
my husband, mother and brother-in-laws, six-month-old daughter, and my eight-year-old son, who is a wheelchair user, dropped us off and headed to find parking near the end of the route. I joked with another mom friend about how our group always seemed to be at the end of the route, which makes for lots of entertaining for the littles. And we anxiously waited for our group to get information and begin. We started to move from the staging area, and my friend and I held up the back, mostly to keep our girls from straying not too far back. And the parade began. We had just turned onto the main street, where families sat with their chairs, blankets, and smiling faces, when we heard a car horn blaring. From the back street, off the parade route, we saw a red SUV driving directly down the street and continuing into the route. The first thing to hit was the confusion. Who was this asshole and how did he not realize he was driving into a parade? He was so close that I had to pull one of the younger girls back by her coat and ended up pulling us both down, something I profusely apologized to her parents for later. And as I did, I made direct eye contact with the driver and yelled, what the fuck? As we stared at each other, he continued to drive and the groups had stopped until he swerved and we began to hear screaming. As quickly as everything moved after that, it was still in slow motion. A woman from further up ran back to us and screamed for us to get off the sidewalk. And a police officer told us we needed to get up by the church on the corner because no one knew what was going on or if he was going to turn around. As we herded our group with girls aged four to 18 against the back wall of the church, the pastor came outside and ushered us in. We got everyone inside and began doing head counts while the older girls who were so much braver than they should have had to be gratefully took the snacks and water offered by the pastor and handed them out while we contacted parents to let them know where we were still not fully knowing the extent of what had happened. We were divided between my daughter's age who had no idea what was going on and were just mad that the parade was canceled slightly older girls who understood that something bad had happened, but weren't sure what and our oldest girls who knew as much as the adults did and still bravely sat with the younger girls to help comfort them. I can't give enough credit to them or to the other chaperones and the owner of their studio for their bravery, calm, and support of each and every girl there in the face of so much fear. After we accounted for everyone, I got a call from my mother-in-law who was bawling. Oh my God, you're okay. Are you okay? I was confused and said, yes, we're fine. They canceled the parade and we're waiting for parents to come get the kids. Did they stop that guy? Are you okay? It was only then that I knew exactly what had happened and just how truly horrific it was. She explained that not only had he driven down the route, he had driven directly into several groups of marchers and the scene was dire. Once they had realized what happened, my husband and brother-in-law had taken off to try and find me and my daughter and left my other two children safely with her. Then my husband called. I hope in all my life I never hear that type of panic in his voice again. He told me he was coming to me, but that I could not walk down the route and I needed to walk the opposite way and not let our daughter see. I told him I would meet him at the car, but I needed to stay to make sure girls had been picked up and that no one needed help. When we were able to leave, I hugged the other moms who had been walking with the group, hugged their kids, and left the church. As we left, I understood why my husband told me not to walk back through the route. 
There were police squads from multiple cities, EMTs, firefighters, and further down the road. You could only see the tarps. There were police squads from multiple cities, EMTs, firefighters, and further down the road. You could only see tarps and empty seats left along the sidewalks. It was so much worse than we had realized. This realization hit me, and I sat in the grass, pulled my daughter to me, and began to cry. We got up, and I had two choices. Walk directly across the street, or walk to the corner, and towards everything, and cross safely at the crosswalk. I decided the former would be safer, especially because there was an officer directly across from me, desperately trying to direct traffic away from the scene. And we began to walk, only for him to yell out, Hey, what? I lost it. As he came over and asked what I was doing, I said, I'm just trying not to jaywalk. He looked at me in absolute disbelief and immediately softened up. He softly laughed and said, yeah, we can't have that, and offered to walk me to the car while another officer took over for him. I felt numb the entire drive home. It had hit the news, and I was receiving phone call after text message after email, checking in on us as I was watching the news and trying to process just what a nightmare we had experienced. We had survived a horrible, unthinkable, and unprecedented attack that had injured 48 people and killed six. The man who had done it had been caught and apprehended, and our community faced a lifetime of healing. If there was any positivity to be had here, it's been seeing how the community has shown up for one another. Multiple support organizations have been created. I've attached a link to some resources. Community projects and murals, and in the parades we have done since, people are a little more vigilant, cheer a little louder, and the city has worked tirelessly to make future parades safer through better barricades and changing up routes. The Milwaukee Dancing Grannies, who suffered immeasurable loss, saw record numbers of new members and were invited to march in the New Orleans Mardi Gras Parade last year. Countless GoFundMes were fulfilled in honor of victims and their families. And I think what's more important than saying the name of the monster who did it is that we say their names. William Hospital, 81. Virginia Sorensen, 79. Leanna Owen, 71. Tamara Durand, 52. Jane Kulik, 52. And Jackson Sparks, 8 years old. Thank you again for all that you do and for allowing me to write this down for the first time and heal a little bit. It has been a long road for everyone, but with the support of the community and the love of one another, the road hasn't been quite so lonely. United for Waukesha Resiliency Center, unitedwaukesha.org. Well, we're both crying. <laughs> Just full disclosure, I muted myself throughout. And uh, shout out to you, Christy, for making it through that because um, the uh, pauses and breaks we had to take are all going to be edited <laughs> out. Truly. Um, but it's, you know, the Mr. Rogers thing, right? You look for the helpers, and that is a community of helpers. Yeah. Yeah, this was um, an unspeakable act. We actually covered this in a mini-sode there are, um, you know, a couple months ago. A lot of criminals we cover and stuff. I hate this guy. I couldn't. Oh, and yeah. I know his it's name, and I'm not going to say him. Fuck him. I hate him. I saw he was appealing, you know, maybe on grounds of competency, whatever. Regardless, he should never see the light of day again. I think he's never going to be able to pay back any of what he did. But for, for what 
uh, was ripped through, you know, an innocent day like that, like a Christmas parade. Yeah. Um, Not only just innocent, but joyful. And everyone is there to have fun. You know, it's, it's just like the music festival in Las Vegas, anything Mm -hmm. where people are gathered, a movie theater to just enjoy themselves and have fun. And your guard is down more than usual. Yeah. And someone takes advantage of that rot in prison forever. For real. But I mean, it's beautiful to read out of so much pain and horror. Like at the time, immediately everybody jumped in to help. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a, uh, it was, you know, a small town. They are doing small town things like Christmas parades. And when you suffer such tragic loss, you come together like a small town does to uh, support people. And I totally agree that we should be saying their names, Molly, and not his. And the uh, link uh, Molly provided, we'll put in the show notes too, but United Waukesha, W-A-U-K-E-S-H-A.org. You can go there for ways to help. And um, I can't remember what month we covered this on our mini-sodes, but if you want, I'm trying to go back and look right now. Oh, October of 2022. Yeah. So if you um, would like more information on on that case or hear us cover it, it's it is available there. Of course, a quick Google search will bring up a million things as well. Yeah. So thank you, Molly, for sending this in. That's a really hard thing for you to write about. And I hope it did help you heal some. And I hope your kids are doing all right. Oh, God. You know, yeah. it's like you're like, oh, remember to that time? I was, that. Yes, I yeah. was going to have a dance parade. And then all of a sudden, like you know, caution tape is up or whatever, mm-hmm. but that, that sweet moment between you, Molly and the police officer, you know, where you're, you're in such shock that you're like, well, I can't break the law. And it's yeah. like, well, that's, and he's like, yeah, well, we can't have that. After well, all. and he's, he Come immediately on, saw. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. also like police letting their vulnerability come through in those moments yeah. too. And, and softening, but yeah, those poor girls that had to do stuff that, no 18 year old should have to do and the little ones too. Um, I'm glad that y'all have been able to still have those. And it wasn't something that this monster took away for you forever that, you know, you can still find ways to honor the victims in future parades and, and stuff within your city. So, um, and same with the dancing grannies. I love that the dancing grannies are still out there and they're getting new members and, you know, they, they keep the, the memory of their, all of their lost members alive. And that's the the heartbreaking thing about is every single one of those victims loved bringing joy to other people. Mm -hmm. And then it's just in a loss like that, it guts you, but it's, it's like when we lose anyone, my number one thing that I like to do is like for when I lose somebody I love, I try to find one thing that I can do that they did that I admired or that like made my life better or made my life, mm-hmm. you know, and if we all want to honor the, those that were lost, especially the dancing grannies, it's like live your life out loud, fully dance, yeah. encourage other people. Like that Don't is let the it best scare legacy. you off instead yeah. join and, and support. I think that's Make a bigger parade. That's a, yeah. Yeah. And it's shows that like, you're not going to uh, prevent us from doing the things that make us happy. So right? yeah, we, uh, even though this was 
2021. That wasn't that long ago. I mean, and it's still, I'm sure for those affected feels like it was just yesterday. So for anyone else that was there or, you know, has a connection to that in some way, we hear you and our hearts are with you. And thank you, Molly, for sending this in. I put it first because I was like, I know that I'm going to (laughs) cry. Put it up top. So I'm going to take some deep breaths. Yes. And move on to the next one. But thank you so much. Thank you, Molly. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from E and the subject line is how I almost got converted. Dear Christy and Heather. Hello from a fellow DFW gal. I love listening to y'all each week and hearing your takes on things. I've debated whether this is a freaky enough story to submit for Freaky Friday, but it sure as hell freaks me the fuck out to think back on. And if my story can help anyone else avoid a similar experience, then I figure it's worth sharing. When I was in high school, I fell in with the, quote, good kids group. Many of these kids belong to a mainstream religious group that is widely considered to be more of a cult. I figure I'd be vague about the specific religion, but you can probably read between the lines. Our group's differing views never became an issue as we all stayed in our own spiritual lanes and didn't try to convert each other to our respective religions or ideologies. When I went off to college, I roomed with one of these friends. She wanted to be active in the local branch of the church and trying to be a supportive roommate. I went with her to some of their social events. It was at one of these events that I met the guy who would end up becoming one of my biggest regrets. He had recently returned from completing mission work and was a few years older than me. I had just broken up with my high school boyfriend and was feeling lonely. He asked me out and I figured, what harm could it do? I assumed it would be casual since I knew he wouldn't get married to a non-believer like me. And I had expressed from the beginning that I had no intention of converting. I was so naive. We quickly became exclusive and within a few months I had lost my virginity to him. Two big problems with this. One, I didn't consent to it. I told him I didn't think I was ready, but he persuaded me. And two, he was not supposed to be having sex according to his religion. However, he lied to the church leaders about his chastity and continued participating in their rituals, all the while remaining sexually active. Little by little, he started pulling me away from my friends. I spent all my free time with him and his family. And by the end of my freshman year, I didn't see any of my own friends. My roommate had dropped out after the first semester and moved to Utah after breaking up with her boyfriend. I also rarely went home on the weekends to see my own family. It was around this time he began to bring up the idea of me converting so we could get married. I told him I wanted to finish college before I got married. So he bought me a promise ring that looked exactly like an engagement ring. and would get angry if I didn't wear it on my left finger all the time. I realize now this was just another way he exerted control over me. About halfway through my sophomore year of college, his mom suggested I give up on school and just get married already. By this point, he had me attending regular church service with them, so they figured I was good as converted. I'm so thankful that I didn't listen to her. Though he had isolated me from my friends and was doing a really good job driving a wedge between me and my family, I still had enough doubt about the whole thing to keep some of my wits about me. However, I was also still delusional enough to think that we would get married one day and everything would be fine. 
At the end of my sophomore year, my sister graduated from high school. Her graduation fell on a Sunday morning. And when my boyfriend realized I planned to attend that rather than go to church with him, he was livid. This was what started me realizing I wanted to get out. I just didn't know how. He had so much control that it seemed impossible. That summer, my sister and I got an apartment together. I think this scared my boyfriend because he redoubled his efforts. Pretty soon, missionaries were casually dropping by to chat, which just added fuel to my fire. Now that I finally had a local support system in the form of my sister, I worked up the courage to break up with him. He went ballistic, throwing rocks at my window, pounding on my door hard enough to leave huge dents, showing up at my work. His mom even got in on it and called me to tell me I was making a mistake. There is so much more to this story, but I'm trying to keep it short. He moved to Utah right after we broke up and was married within a year to someone who was already a member. My junior and senior years of college were wonderful. I joined clubs, made new friends, partied, got good grades, and graduated with honors. I'm thankful every day that I ended things when I did. The whole process was so insidious. It was like what they say about boiling frogs. You don't realize how much hot water you're in until it's too late. I feel like I lost two years of my life when I was with him, and it took me a while to repair my relationships with my family. My advice to anyone who may find themselves in a similar situation is to listen to your family. Nine times out of 10, they are the ones who will have your best interest at heart. Someone who really cares about you won't need or want to change you so that they can be with you. Thank you for reading my story. I hope it reaches someone who needs to hear it. P.S. I will clarify for y'all that the religion is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was inspired by your coverage of Jehovah's Witnesses to share my story. And E, you are not alone in that uh, idea that the Mormonism and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a cult. We got... Tons mm-hmm. of emails and DMs and comments on social media of like, I escaped from this. I'm an ex-Mormon. And there is a similar ex-community as to the ex-JW. So For sure. I don't think it's unreasonable to call it a no, cult. Given, no, Yeah. Given the amount of emails we got that were like, well, now you got to do Mormons. Now you <laughs> got to do the FLDS. I mean, it's, um, right. it is, it's insidious, like you said, and it's, to get your mom involved, mm-hmm. so gross and cringe. Also, I just, and it may be it's National Stalking Awareness Month, and next week mm-hmm. we're going to cover uh, a case uh, of stalking as well as talk to some experts in the field. But I have no no patience for men who behave this way, who behave no. in a way that they think that they own women, that they can control women, that they I I will at the risk of sounding like a real redneck. I think they <laughs> should just be shot on sight. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know round I mean? them all I up to- and do some kind of intensive <laughs> yeah, like boot camp. And if you can't change them, then let them just live it out together on an island somewhere yeah, go and figure it out other. amongst themselves. But don't don't fuck with us. No, I just hate it. And I, and I will say I'm extremely biased because while it was not even close to this, I, I, you know, I had an ex that pursued me inappropriately and, you know, made you feel, makes you fear for your life, makes you, you know, whatever. And you can't even enjoy fucking college because this guy's like, Mm -hmm. you can't go to your sister's graduation. And I'm so glad for you. you It's like they say, you know, the best time to break up with him was saying no, when he first asked you out and the second best time is today. So good for you because you did it. 
you know, right when you could, you, as soon as you could, you did. And so good for you. And anybody that's listening, God, if you've got something in your life, don't let them fucking treat you like that. I hate to hear that. And everyone deserves to flourish and thrive like he did, you know, joining clubs, making friends, mm-hmm. partying, graduating with motherfucking honors. Go, Especially e, after go. all you went through. Yes. That's, that's amazing. You should thrive. be super proud of yourself. But like you said, it's oftentimes it is that frog in a pot metaphor that, and it's intentional. I mean, it's grooming. That's, that's how Mm -hmm. they get you. So it's not you like, yeah, yeah, it's, and it's not your fault. Like you always say a snake is going to bite whoever walks by. And I am so glad that you were able to spot that red flag and that, you know, the graduation thing being enough of like, nah, this is. This is kind of the tipping point and having that support system like your sister crucial. So I agree that if you are in a similar situation to this nine times out of 10, I would agree. Your family is the one that has your best interest at heart. There are of course times when that isn't the case, but if you have a supportive family and you know that they are trying to maintain a relationship and maybe someone is trying to prevent that, reach out to them. Let this be your sign that like enough is enough and you're, you're worth more. You don't need to put up with, with this type of abuse. Yeah. And and families look different too. Whether if you, if you do have issue with your birth family, you know, there's those ride or die people in your life. Mm -hmm. And the the guy I dated was like, you don't want to hang out with gypsy, which was like one of my best friends. It's still to this day. And it's like to have that trying to drive Mm -hmm. a wedge because you see it's a strong connection. You know, she and I have been close my entire adult life. And it's like, they particularly want to pick out because they're good Mm -hmm. at it, you know, pick out that, oh, well, that's going to be the one that tells her to leave me. I got to get rid of her. You know, I got to drive a wedge. So just clinging to whatever support system you have. And like uh, we always say, it's not your fault, but good for you, E, for for thriving. May you thrive for the remainder of your days. And to the girl that he ended up marrying, I hope your story is different. Yeah. Godspeed. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Beth, and the subject line is the Navy SEAL con man who tricked us all. Hello, I discovered your amazing podcast back in 2022, and I have laughed my way through nearly every episode. I remember the one from the end of 2019 going into 2020, where you said something like, 2020 is going to be a great (laughs) year. And I thought, oh, damn, poor past Christy and Heather. Anyways, I digress. Back in 2006, I worked for a university organization. Part of our job was to staff immersive service spring break trips. In the wake of the Hurricane Katrina devastation, we partnered with a nonprofit and brought a group of about 200 college students down to Slidell, Louisiana to help with cleanup and repairs. Each group was broken down into buses with one university staff member and one, quote, adult staff member. I was assigned to John, who I believe was in his 40s or 50s at the time. I was 26, so everyone was old. John was charming as fuck, telling us wild stories about his days as a Navy SEAL, sharing pictures of his family and kids, and just generally having a great time bonding with our group. He told us he was friends with Jimmy Buffett. They met at a bar in Key West and hit it off, and we, of course, believed him. As we started to do work further and further into the Ninth Ward, John broke down into tears and told us a devastating story. 
He was on a search and rescue right after Katrina and assigned to a certain area. In one house, the adults had gotten out, but their granddaughter was trapped. John and his team tried to scuba dive into the house, which according to him was fully submerged and rescue the girl, but they were unable to find her in time. We were all crying at this point. Then he goes on to tell us that after a few months, he was able to get in touch with the family and find out more information about the girl. Her name was Meg, the same name as his daughter. He was crying. We were crying. It was heartbreaking. After we returned home, we started posting pictures on Facebook and tagging everyone, including him. A few of the staff members even kept in touch with him over text. About a week later, I received an email from John's wife, which rocked my socks. According to her, John was a narcissistic liar. He was never in the Navy, cheated on her multiple times, never saw his kids, and was just a horrible person. She said, I bet he told you this despicable story about how he couldn't save a drowning girl with the same name as our daughter, right? He tells that to everyone to try and pick up women. She told us to stay away from him for our own good. W-T-A-F. We were shook, to say the least. We just spent an entire week with this guy, nearly 24 hours a day, reeling from the devastation of Katrina and hearing the heartbreaking stories. And he lied about this. We felt stupid, foolish, angry. We were definitely creeped out by this sleazy guy that we had basically hero-worshipped for a week. I couldn't believe that we were so taken in by this con man, but it was a valuable lesson for all of us to not believe everything people tell you. Thank you for sharing my story and keep on doing what you're doing. Love, love, love your work and your hilarious friendship. Keep it creepy, not sleazy. Beth. And then Beth attached a picture of their group with um, John in a bright yellow shirt and Beth right next to him. And Mm -mm. what a piece of work to people that fucking do this. I, it reminded me of the woman who wasn't there, the documentary about the woman who lies about being involved in nine 11. And you're like, what, what kind of monster takes this horrible event that affected millions of people and then tries to like jump on the trauma bandwagon. It's so gross and disgusting. And then his wife is like, yeah, he does it to pick up women. Oh, stolen valor to pick up women. Also don't don't you bring uncle Jimmy into this. He doesn't know you. He would never in my life. He would never be friends with you, John, if that's your real name. Yeah, right. Well, that's the good thing. It's crazy about Facebook, though. I think a lot of con artists, you know, he's older and Facebook was new around 2006. I got my Facebook because of my Loyola New Orleans email address. So that's like the first year I had Facebook was like Mm -hmm. late 05, 2006. So he has been peddling this bullshit for God knows how many decades. He didn't realize, oh, I'm going to go tell all these kids. Then they're going to put me on the internet. Other mm-hmm. people are going to see it. And then it's like, the jig is up, you idiot. John, yeah. Navy, a Navy SEAL would have seen that coming. And you ain't one. <laughs> I ain't hope one. that it blew up his spot all over For the sure. world. Whoever he's told this story to. And that it shut him down and embarrassed the shit out of him. Because that's, yeah, that's gross. That's just so fucking gross. And like, And then you do look back and you're like, oh, I feel like an idiot that I was crying with this man. But Beth. 
It's no. none of y'all. It's again, it's snakes are going to do what snakes do. Y'all were right. just the people that he, he was happened to be around. Like it could have been any group. And it, yeah. why would anybody not believe that? You know, I mean, it would be unhinged if you were like, you're lying, John, you never tried <laughs> to save a drowning it. girl. Like as everyone's weeping, like, of course you're not going to have that reaction. Or it's awkward. There's like the one friend in the group that's like, he's full of shit. And they're like, you're a monster. And it's like, yeah, it's am probably I? me. And everyone's like, God damn it, Christy. Can you not? And I'm like, just wait, y'all will see. I might look like an asshole now, but just wait. <laughs> I'm just going to say 100%. Yeah. The amount of times in our relationship, both uh, personal and professional, that I've been like, what about this? And you've been like, I don't trust it. And I've been like, it'll be fine. And then the exact thing you thought would happen happened. And I'm like, we got to really listen to Christy. She's uh, she's a psychic. You're like, no, I'm just uh, cynical and aware of things. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I'll just be like, dur, 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 dur. let's well, go on into this. One. Most people, and maybe even me in this situation, like, especially no, when you're it's like, effective. you're in the ninth ward, you see all yeah. the devastation around you. Oh, yeah. To prey on people's like emotions like that is so sinister and just he has a family that he's treats like shit like fuck you go to that yeah. same island with all the the other men yeah. that are doing shit like this y'all all get to live it out and just fight amongst yourselves yes yeah, sleazebag island they take him <laughs> down to the abandoned uh, epstein island all on the, there and then we can uh burn it down with them on it right. <laughs> or that there. um the sadly the trash island in the middle of the ocean where all Perfect. our fucking trash just ends up because of the currents just go have them sit them on that have them clean yeah. it up that's a good that's a, a one-way ticket way to, to use trash, your time trash, trash island, island. <laughs> first class ticket to trash island bye oh mm -hmm. uh, well beth you did nothing wrong thank you for helping clean up after katrina that was a tough for time sure. for for the city and uh those i only did like one little weekend thing of that but i had a lot of classmates that were like very involved in the habitat for humanity and the rebuilding and the gutting and then i had my colleagues at the at work would like take me to show me their houses and it was mm. i mean you know years of family memories everything mm -hmm. up to the second story and stuff so i mean at least he actually did work i guess but I guess I hope oh I hope you didn't just he didn't just like wander around and tell these sob stories and he probably did. used it as just like a fucking ground for his platform. Yeah, right. He just has his hands on his hips like this is, reminds me of the time mm -hmm. I was out in Korea. And you're like, get out of here, John, you full of shit. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thanks for sending that one in. Mm hmm. This next one is from Hannah, and the subject line is, My mother was mistaken for Patty Hearst in the 1970s. Hello, ladies. I started listening to your podcast several months ago. I work from home, and your episodes make my day more enjoyable. My favorite episodes are Freaky Fridays. I have several stories I could submit, but this one is my favorite, and that's why I chose it to send it in as my first submission. My parents married in the fall of 1973. My dad was 21 and my mom was 19. She's given me permission to share this story with you, but ask that I not include her name as this takes place in a small town and my mom is very private. A few months after they married, my parents went to a bar outside a small town in southern Oregon to play snooker. This particular bar was the only one in the area that had a snooker table. Back then, if you were under 21 but married to someone who was 21 or older, you could join your spouse at the bar as long as you brought proof that you were married, i.e. had your marriage license with you. After a while of playing snooker, my mom was approached by a couple of police officers. They asked her to step outside so that they could talk with her, 
She thought it was because of her age, but after looking at her ID, they told her that some man from the bar had called them, saying that Patty Hurst was there. Patty Hurst, the daughter of William Hurst, was kidnapped from her apartment in Berkeley, California, by the Symbionese Liberation Army earlier that year. They brainwashed her into joining their group, and she committed many crimes with them, including being caught on surveillance robbing a bank in San Francisco. She was already a wanted criminal, and everyone on the West Coast had an eye out for her when someone thought my mom was her. My mom and Patty Hearst were roughly the same age and really quite resembled one another. I've included a black and white photo of Patty and my mom, although she's asked that you don't post the picture of her. It is her least favorite senior portrait, but it was the only one in black and white that she could find for comparison. Thank you for reading my short Brush With True Crime story. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. These are my favorite type of stories, and I'm amused that something like this happened to my mom. Maybe the next story I send in will be the one where my aunt was camping and a murder happened nearby, or the times my sister and I saw UFOs and aliens outside our bedroom window. I tell you, Southern Oregon is a weird place to live. Well, she included a picture, and I think this is a badass picture of your mom so please tell her that i love yearbook pictures from like the 70s everyone just looks hot like glam (laughs) and like like like, it was just like everyone had the middle hair part the sleek hair like fresh skin everybody just looked like glowing it wasn't you know i mean more natural Mm -hmm. so she's beautiful please tell her that but does resemble Patty Hearst yes. too. You also included the very famous picture of her in front of the um, the army's symbol and her with the machine gun, which we should cover this story because it is a wild story. I, really, I don't know much about it other than I've seen like, you know, I love the 70s or whatever. And they'll be like, and that's when the Patty Hearst thing happened. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, you know, the Patty Hearst. I'm like, I don't know it. What is it? So I think it's a lot of Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, and it'd be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But, but to, I uh, to, to be, I can see it. And if yeah. you're at a bar and like, it's going on, you know, everybody's on edge and you're like, oh, I think that's her. Yeah. You're like, Patty Hearst is playing snooker, which I had to yeah. look it up. Well, I just looked did, it up yeah. too. It's a Q sport played on a rectangular billiards table covered with a green cloth called bays i'm assuming with six pockets one in each corner and one in the middle of each long side so kind of a variation on pool but i gotta say i googled what it is and there's a lot of hubbub going on right now in the snooker community there's like 18 articles one hour ago world grand prix snooker live (laughs) snooker star center of ronnie o'sullivan feud there's a feud (gasps) happening as we speak 44 <laughs> minutes ago, World Snooker Tours announces Saudi Arabia Snooker Tournament. There's a bunch of controversy about that. There's all sorts of stuff going on in the snooker world right now. <laughs> I love niche drama where it's mm-hmm. like, you wouldn't believe this snooker player. I'm like, tell me everything. <laughs> like the stuff about like the drama in the chess world. I'm like, tell me everything. Oh, Your yeah. shit went down at a knitting conference. I'm like, I need to know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, I think there's like a bunch of unmarked balls. Snooker's a wild game, but regardless, I've never if you look played over, it. I've never heard of it. It looks fun. Yeah, if you look over and see a long, dark-haired girl kind of bending over a snooker table, and you go, I think that's pretty hers. Mm-hmm. You just you got to be safe and call it in. So I'm glad that the uh, that they didn't take your mom in or anything like that. But what a <laughs> thing to have police come up and you're like, oh, I'm probably going to get busted for being underage, and they're like, excuse me, are you in a cult? And you're like, yeah, oh, shit, no. Gives you a good family story to tell. 
Most definitely. Well, thank you, Hannah. And please do send in both of your other Freaky Friday stories. We'd love oh, to yes. hear them. Thank All of you. them, yeah. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. Well, speaking of cults, this one is from Kieran, and the subject line is, My parents met in a cult. Hi, I've been a listener for a long time, and I especially love the Freaky Friday episodes. Despite the dramatic title, I don't usually dwell on this aspect of my family history, as it was over well before I was born, and my parents were really casual about it until recently. My parents were followers of Osho, a.k.a. Bhagwan Rajneesh, and met at the ashram in Oregon in the early 80s, but that's not where my family's involvement begins. My mom left Austria, where she had been living with her mom, Anne, and stepdad, and spent her teen years in the 70s living in Malibu with her dad, John. After my grandma's divorce, my grandma felt lost and went to visit my mom and grandpa John, whose brother Brian was also staying in L.A. at the time. Brian had recently been to a retreat in Joshua Tree, where Osho's voice recordings were used to guide the meditations, and he went to India and officially became a sannyasin, basically means a disciple and what Osho's followers called themselves. John and Anne were both intrigued by Osho's teachings and also visited India to take sannyas, receiving a mala, an Indian name from Osho, as part of accepting him as their spiritual guru. My mom was 19 when she visited Anne, who was staying at the ashram in India for a while, and, no surprise, became a sannyasin. I can't remember everyone's names, but Anne became Gaia, and my mom became Anugita. My dad is from England and was traveling around Europe in his 20s when his sister invited him to visit the ashram in India. From there, he followed a girlfriend over to Oregon, but I don't think he was ever that into the spiritual path. That girlfriend might have been his green card marriage wife. To stay in the U.S., practically everyone had at least one green card marriage during the 80s at the ranch, including all the family members I've mentioned. When my parents met in Oregon, my mom was 25 and had been there for a few years, and my dad was 30 and had been there off and on. They moved to San Francisco together when the ranch disbanded. My grandmother, Anne, is the only one who stayed a believer after Osho's deportation and death. None of us speak ill of him around her because she's 93 and can believe whatever makes her happy. No one had any traumatic experiences, and my parents called it a commune when I was a kid, so I didn't know there was anything weird about it until Wild Wild Country came out and all my friends freaked out about me never telling them. Most sannyasins had no idea what that inner circle was up to and hated Sheila. My parents were just hanging out with their friends, smoking weed, going to meditation, totally oblivious to the dark side of it all. A few years ago, my mom realized it was a cult and got really into cult documentaries and reading books from former sannyasins who actually did have traumatic experiences. In a weird twist of fate, my mom's sister ended up in a Jesus freak movement cult and met her husband because they had both just gotten free of it. Everyone was relatively normal by the time I came into the world in 1995. So normal, in fact, that sometimes it's hard to believe that they were involved in cults. The photos I attached are of my grandpa and mom in red with their mala necklaces. There aren't a lot of photos from the ranch or India, as it wasn't super common to have a camera where material attachments could be a distraction from spiritual paths. Well, Heather. Listen, your parents, they did the right thing. Osho's great. <laughs> I'm a big fan. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> Heather accidentally joined. <laughs> oh, right. Kind of right. joined. I won't <laughs> say she joined, but she, uh, she, she spread the message for a minute. Yeah, I uh, I've, I've joked about it a couple times. It's funny when people are like, "What was that cult Heather was in?" It was not that serious, but it's, it's <laughs> no, it was not just at silly all. <laughs> because I had purchased a meditation tarot deck that mm-hmm. was like the Osho Zen tarot, and I was like, "This is it's just kind of regurgitated like Zen teachings and whatever, but in this kind of deck." So I could be like, "Oh, I'll like pull a card and write about it or whatever." And then for a while, I had no idea who wrote it, and maybe like a year, I recommended it to people. I had given it as gifts. I had no idea. I probably looked <laughs> like I was. And they're like, she's she's like really into it. Where are the beads? Because she's been giving it as gifts. And then I Googled it and was like, oh, oh, Osho is wild, wild country. Wild, wild country is Osho. Had a real Ace Ventura moment. I was like, what is happening? And it turns out, yes, I was following Bhagwan Rajneesh <laughs> on accident. I, do, I still have the deck of cards because it's a funny story, but I don't, don't like study it or follow it. But no, it's a good point, though, because from there were there were some people that were part of it that were like, I mean, you can watch the documentary or read their mm-hmm. books that had a horrible time. But there a lot of times in these cults, there are just the folks that are kind of like literally background characters that were like, I don't know, man, I was just smoking weed and shit hanging out. Like, yeah, I didn't see any. Just, I didn't poison it the sounds like bar. a great time if you're yeah. just <laughs> smoking weed, going to meditation, hanging out with your friends all day. And now you get me in a cult. <laughs> now, I just got to say, um, respectfully, Kieran. Your grandpa John is a zaddy. The not, I mean, it's yeah. there's just no oh yeah, way. he's got attitude. I like it. <laughs> I like the it. swag. I like the whole vibe. For sure. And um, yeah, so pass if, that on. <laughs> pass that on if 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 you're able to. But it's it's so funny, and also that your aunt too. But you know, we all have things right? in our past that we just. You're like, yeah, that was just what I did in the 70s. And now I live a totally normal life. Right. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. I guess just, <laughs> I'll just go to school then. <laughs> my parents, my family, this is their history. But yeah, if they just kind of go like, oh, yeah, we lived in a commune. It was a weird thing. And especially if they didn't know, like they couldn't tell you mm-hmm. what they don't know. But I'm sure it's completely understandable that your mom, whenever she's like, wait, what was going on? Like you would want to like dig in and like yeah. get your arms around like what was really happening? Not just with the people I was in there with, but then afterwards and then other similar groups, like I can, I totally see that becoming like a, a area of interest for sure. Oh yeah. I would fall down a huge rabbit hole if I'd been involved in a group. And then I found out, Oh, well the right hand woman was trying to poison the entire town. <laughs> yes. Right. I'm telling you, man, poison a salad bar. It's unforgivable. She's, mm-hmm. she's going to trash Island too. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Karen, for sending that in and, uh, send a, send our love to your family for us. Sinisterhood. We'll be right back. All right. This final one is from Sam and the subject line is I've been given a gift. I love the show and love you gals. This is my second time writing in. I'm the Sam that had the prom date from hell. Not exactly sure why I thought you guys would enjoy this story, but here we go. I'm 12 years old, and I see a baby perched on the railing of one of my favorite summer attractions that catches my eye. The mom's arms are tired, and the railing is the perfect height for baby's bum to rest. That baby's going to fall, I whisper. What? My dad says. That baby, I point. It's going to fall. No sooner do I have it out of my mouth does the baby teeter backwards over the railing. Luckily, the mom catches the little one just in time. 
My dad sighs, but not in relief. It's something else. I look at him. What was that? I ask. Sometimes things like that happen, he replies, as we move on to another area of the park. That night at Tuckin, he brings it up again and tells me something I never thought I'd hear him say. He proceeds to tell me that all my life I've had something. When we lived at the private boarding school and he was in charge of the boys' dorm, I would wake up any time one of the boys was up to anything that teenage boys try to do, sneaking out, up after curfew, etc. My parents have always been very, very conservative and religious. My reverend father telling me this felt like a huge secret that I couldn't share with anyone in our circle. They just wouldn't understand. This gift isn't all the time, just seasons of my life here and there. But in those seasons, I've been able to accurately predict seven pregnancies across five people. I've caught people in multiple lies and just instinctively know things. Just the other day, I thought, the school is about to call me because my kid's eczema is bothering her. And sure enough, my father and I recently reconnected after a decade apart. I reached out to him, and one of the first things he said to me was, You still got the gift, I see. My therapist told me to reach out to you, but I was being a chicken shit. Thanks for doing what I couldn't. Our relationship has gotten so much better, and our reconnection has been fantastic. My husband is a skeptic and rolls his eyes and says I'm just a good guesser, lovingly, when I bring my gift up. But he can't deny there's something. I'm still not sure what this gift is. Personally, I think it's a gift from God. For what purpose? Hell if I know. And, like I said, I'm not sure why I thought you may enjoy this, but I hope it encourages other people who are on a journey to discover parts of themselves that they may not entirely understand. You don't have to have it all figured out to enjoy the ride. What do you think, Sam? Well, Sam, I think some people are a little more tuned into stuff that's going on and get those feelings. So, I mean, I've, I, I feel this way a lot, too. I'm glad that that baby was rescued. This That's like right? some Superman shit where you're just like, that like, kid's going to fall and then you <laughs> dive down there. That 12-year-old girl just saved the day. She saved oh, the baby. Right? Uh, yeah. But it's like your antenna is up. I think some people mm-hmm. have their antennas are up for, you know, naturally. I think you get your antenna up through meditation, prayer, you know, quiet contemplation. Sometimes people do it through like trying to, I told you that one time I was like, I thought I, I think I had like a dream that predicted something. And then I was in one of my classes in law school, ADHD. They were talking about something. God damn. It was my ERISA class. It was the most boring class in the fucking world. ERISA is this like employment, retirement and tax law scheme. It's so boring. I can't even talk about it. Or you guys are all going to turn the show off. So because of that, I was like, oh, I'm just going to Google, how do you know if you're a psychic? <laughs> and then my friend next to me was like, oh my God, I've been wanting to Google the same thing. <laughs> like, Let's talk about it. Uh-oh. Because it's like, it's like a natural thing to kind of have those like, where you're like, that's weird. Once you start noticing it almost mm-hmm. like, and it's not that you're a psychic. It is just like you said, what I've read in that was like honing your intuition through things like what I said, meditation, yada, yada, prayer. So cool, Sam. That instinct. As far as why do you have it? Hell if I know too. Why does anybody have anything? But That's all. Take out a pen, write down. <laughs> you don't have to have it all figured out to enjoy the ride. I love that's it. just good advice, Sam. Mm-hmm. Thank you. 
Very good advice. Very, very good advice. Thank you so much, Sam, for sending that in. And thank you to everybody who sent in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at sinisterhood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of content. Like our recent Q&A we just had last night, which was a ton of fun. And we introduced a new oddity that has been oh. made its way into Heather's studio. He's over oh, my shoulder. Oh, there he is right, right now. now. I told Paris, I was like, you got to pull that clip and put at least a taste of it on the on the <laughs> socials so people can see. I don't know. It might make people not want to go watch the video because it's like the stuff of nightmares. But that's the kind of fun we have over on the Q&A. We got some fun FMKs last night. We got good mm-hmm. questions on the Sinisterhood Mount Rushmore, which uh, keep your eyes peeled for new merch, hopefully coming yes. soon with that. But uh, we also had a new Dear Sinister where folks write us in for personal advice. So we had a, a great episode on that. And folks have already started weighing in on the comments on what would they do in the same situations. And coming up the end of this week, we should, hopefully by the time you hear this, our true crime headlines will be out where we discuss the Gilgo Beach 4 case updates in Gypsy Rose, as well as Tom Girardi and Erica Jane from Real Housewives uh, and and stuff like that on and the, the headlines. the man that decided it would be a good idea to fly across the judge's desk and slam her head into the ground. So we talk about that too. Yes, what he's being charged with now mm-hmm. in the face of that viral video. Definitely go check that out. You can also head to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. Right now, we have got a clearance sale going on, last chance for our 2022 and 2023 items. So if you missed out on merch at our live shows or you just like how it looks and likes the design, I mean, I think Paris was like, this Texas theater shirt's probably my favorite Sinisterhood shirt. I was wearing it yesterday. Yes, I wear the shirt of my own show. (laughs) Honestly, he was going to wear it at Meow Wolf, and he was like, I will... He's like, I'll kind of look cringy if I wear this. I'll look like your handler. And I was like, no. And then we ran into a listener and I was like, he goes, God, I'm really glad I wear that shirt. I look like such a dork. <laughs> too. I would have been so embarrassing. But you're not married to me. So feel free to go get you a Sinisterhood shirt on clearance right now uh, for uh, some percentage off. I'm not sure what it is. But Sinisterhood.com, click shop on the top banner. While you're on Sinisterhood.com, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description. You'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets, which keep your eye on because we'll be announcing our spring full moon energy 2024. For tour dates, uh, probably in the next couple weeks or so. So you'll find out on Patreon first. You also get first access to tickets over there. And then, of course, follow us on socials for all the updates, too. For sure. We are on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. You can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. You can watch uh, full video episodes uh, that they come out about a week after the show. You can watch them early and ad-free on Patreon or check them out on our YouTube channel along with the entire show. If you like to listen to stuff on YouTube, some some people listen. So if you're listening on mm-hmm. YouTube, what's up? Sinisterhood Podcast. Go over there and subscribe for free and you uh, get notifications when we post something new. There's also, also a lot of clips and stuff and oh, segments. Yeah. It's not just episodes. Episodes, but Freaky Friday interviews, clips from like 
just fun Q and A's and stuff. Silliness. So it's, it's Inter- fun. Yeah. Any of the conversations we've done, like with Randall Nickerson, the director mm-hmm. of aerial phenomenon. Uh, so any of that is over on our YouTube channel and clips you can find on our TikTok at sinisterhood podcast. If you want videos for you by us, head to cameo.com to order your personalized custom video shout out. We can say happy birthday, happy Valentine's day, happy Galentine's day. Anything you want, we would love to help you celebrate it at cameo.com. Search Sinisterhood and throw in there if you want us to have some of this, the weird oddities oh that are in the studio. Cornskull, McGruff, the Lucifer head. The moon. I have a popple now, courtesy of Christy, uh, the moon man with his weird sex mouth. <laughs> cameo.com. Let us know what weird things you want to see and we'll bust them out, baby. Christy, there's where are you so at online? Many. There's, there's so, so many. many. <laughs> you go yesterday when I ran off, you go, You're, there's so many oddities for you to pull, like, go through to find it. I couldn't find the moon. There's too much weird shit in my house. But where are you I at? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I am on the internet at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Sinister Hood